And a very good cold morning to you. Welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, which is brought to you by Mizuno Golf. Reach beyond by Club Car, the global leader in golf utility and fun personal vehicles. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back right here to our communities. By Bridgestone Golf, play the ball that fits you. And by Sea Palms Resort, join today and improve your short game at the Miracle Practice Facility. Today on the show, we're going to talk with Phil Kenyon, Director of Putting at Sea Island Golf Performance Center, about how important speed and distance is in your stroke, as if you already didn't know that. But he also has a great suggestion of what we all need to practice in order to lower our scores. And then we'll talk with Brad King, CEO of Stitch Golf, about their brand and their sponsorship of the college tournament just happened in North Carolina to honor legendary basketball coach Roy Williams. And we have some breaking news from Global Golf Post. Jim Nugent will be with us for a couple of minutes. And then we'll talk with Dr. Brett McCabe with his new book, Break Free from Suckville. I love the name of that title. That'll help you change your mindset, or maybe you'll go out and begin to play pickleball. But first up is Phil Kenyon, Director of Putting at the Sea Island Golf Performance Center. What are the three things that you think most good putters have got to have? Um, well, they, they get the ball in the hole is, is the obvious statement, isn't it? And, and to do that, you've got to be able to control your start line. Um, you've got to be able to pick the right read. And then, you know, obviously then you've got to be able to match the speed. So they have the skill to be able to match those three components. Um, and the, you'll find that good putters will use a variety of different techniques to develop those skills. But ultimately, it's a skill set and matching those three things. I've seen a lot of the guys on the tour, on the practice greens, uh, work more on speed, not necessarily on trying to get it in the hole, but trying to get it to the hole or to the edge of the green on the fringe just to begin to work on their speed prior to them playing. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you, at, the, at the higher the level that you go, the, the sort of more refined the things that these guys are working on. Um, so a lot of the time they'll have good sort of technique and their ability to control start line, you know, that they've got down. So it's the more finer elements of, you know, uh, controlling the speed uh, and obviously green reading that they, they could be working on. You know, if you're a little bit out with your speed and you've got, you know, a perfect line, then the ball's not going to go in. So, um, yeah, small adjustments but can have a big impact. How does it take, how long does it take for you to work with someone, let's talk about amateurs rather than the pros, to begin to read greens better than they have been? There have been times when you've seen a putt that looks like it breaks right and you're giving it too much room to break right and it doesn't. So how do you begin to help someone read greens better? Well, um, th- there are different techniques that you could use to, to help that player. Um, I mean, sometimes a lot of green reading or poor green reading can be down to other factors, such as they have a particular start line bias or a particular bias to, um, of how they control their speed, which then influences their green reading. So it, um, you know, depending on what method you want to try and use with the player, whether it's you know, incorporating something like aim point or whether you're trying to use more traditional methods, 
you're basically going down to the basics of what determines how much a ball breaks. You know, the the, the slope, the gradient, angle that you're putting across, um, and you know, working around that. But sometimes you have to also then remove some of these other biases that could be influencing the player's decision making when it comes to the green reading. When you work with someone and they're plumb bobbing or they're using the uh, aim point, uh, is there one particular one that you prefer over another or does it matter as long as the ball is going into the hole or close to it? Well, I think, you know, you're right in a sense, whichever method works for the player. I mean, plumb bobbing for me isn't a method that works. I don't think there's any uh, scientific validity to show how that works. Um, and you know there are lot, lots of players who don't sort of work well with aim point, who who kind of like to use more feel and visuals, um, who, who aren't very good at sort of sensing slope with their feet. Um, so the main thing is matching a method to what the player can do and what the player can work with and develop, and then ultimately it's matching a method that they can work with, but also then helps them hold more putts. Now, we've seen a lot of uh, pros out there that we watch on the weekends who uh, struggle with their putting, um, obviously puts more pressure on the rest of their game, the drives, the irons, and so on. Um, Tommy Fleetwood, um, a lot of people will say he should be winning more than he is. So uh, you work with him. Is putting become an issue, or is it something other in his game? Um, I think he... This year, or I mean, we're in a new season now, aren't we? Um, but like, in terms of a calendar year, he, he yeah, he's not had his best year. Um, I think he finished. Uh, well, he technically kind of lost his card at the end of the twenty-one season in the in in, in America. I mean, actually, he's had some good performances in Europe, but probably not his best year by his own admission. Um, and if you if you look, you know. Statistically, he's not sort of played as well um, across the whole board. Really, I, I don't think you can pinpoint one area. Um, but when you look at him, obviously spending time with him and being close to him, he's actually not been that far away. You know, practicing well, just it's just not translated into stuff on course. And uh, you know, a lot of times that can be down to confidence or just small margins. I know he's not driven the ball as well as he normally does, but it only takes one errant drive per round, uh, which he can be penalised for. And the, the, the level is so, um, it's so tight, isn't it, at the top level, then it, all, all it takes is a bad shot here or there and, and it makes a significant difference. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's working hard on all areas of his game, whether it be he's putting his long game, short game, I mean, I think actually short game was probably his best area. This, you know, in and around the green was his best area and, and a much improved area in recent years. So I don't think he's too far away. He's had a cup, you know, he had a top ten last week at Zozo, um, and and played well in parts in Vegas. So I don't think he'd be far away from you know coming back and um, contending at the right end of the leaderboard. When you work with someone, um, I've seen a lot of people. Um, Matsuyama uses uh, different lengths. He has to make three consecutive putts. He has a pretty regime uh, around his putting game. Um, I find sometimes when I play that I putt better when the putts are far away, long putts, than I do with short putts. Yeah. Um, because I don't think I concentrate 
as much um, on direction. I'm just trying to get it to the hole. On a short putt, so I'm saying, is it going to break left? Is it going to break right? Do a lot of golfers that you work with have issues with confidence with shorter putts rather than longer putts? Or would I just be an oddball? <laughs> you can be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we, we all know that you're, you're an oddball. Uh, <laughs> I think it, it depends from player to player. You know, the players will have certain strengths and weaknesses even within the putting game alone, like they would across the whole board. And some players could be particularly good inside of five feet and maybe not so good five to ten feet. Um, and then really good from 20 feet. I think sometimes, um, you know, there's a lot more luck involved outside of, outside of 20 feet. And... Um, but I think like that five five to twenty feet area is a critical area where your skill really d- can define your performance. And I think at, you know we're, we're quite close to the hole, in maybe inside ten feet, it could be a little bit more emphasis on certain components of putting, like your ability to start your uh, ball online. And as you get a bit further away, you know speed reading has a little bit more of an influence. So players will have patterns where they're good at certain things, certain distances, and not at others. Um, now ultimately you've got to work on all of those distances and work on things which are going to help you be successful across all of those distances um, and that's you know where like coaches can help players because sometimes they're not always aware of that themselves and it could be easy to shy away from practicing things right. you know where you've got to face that and, and get better at it um, you know, that, that's how I would look at that. Do you think sometimes the pros and even amateurs take for granted the short putts like they're going to make them and therefore don't go through the regular routine or the confidence that they should have in their head prior to that putting? I think, I mean, this is a slightly kind of different answer to the question that you've asked, but I think on average, I would say the average golfer underappreciates how good good putters are inside 10 feet so if you're looking at tour players how how high they convert you know the average would be about 90% conversion inside 10 feet and then they overestimate how many longer putts that they would hold you know on a regular PGA tournament on average um, the, yeah, the average PGA professional would hold 5 putts outside of 10 feet during the 72 hole tournament which a lot of people would overestimate. That right. you know, often if I ask that question, they'll guess you know ten, fifteen puts, or whatever. So I think there's like a bias, you know, in, in terms of of the perception of how difficult or how easy certain distances are. And um, most amateur golfers can get better inside ten feet. That's going to have a significant impact on their score, and primarily it's determined by skill. Now, if you look at the best players in that area, they tend to be the same each week or each month or each year. And the reason it's the same people is that they're, they're the ones that have the most skill. If you look at outside of 20 feet, then it's more random as to who, who right. the best is. And it's random because there's a bit more luck involved. It's a bit like the right. lottery, isn't it? So, yeah, like, I think people don't realise how important four, five, six-foot putts are and if you could go and practice one area and get better at it, it would be inside 10 feet. If you could become a world-class putter inside 10 feet, then you're going to be okay, irrespective of what happens outside. 
That is Phil Kenyon, director of putting at Sea Island Golf Performance Center. We all need to practice those putts within 10 feet. I'd be happy with 5 feet. I'd be happy with 3 feet. And we're got uh, coming up next, Brad King, CEO of Stitch Golf, and then Jim Nugent, and then Dr. Brett McCabe on his new book, all about being in that tough zone that he calls Suckville. Well, let's talk about something great and exciting and delicious. at CJ's Italian Restaurant with their pizzas. Their deep dish is what they're known for. It is incredible. Check out their monthly specials created by the local elementary schools. Part of the proceeds then, if you pick those, goes back to those elementary schools. Their food is made fresh from scratch every morning, including the doughs, the breads, the sauces, the dressings, the toppings, the meatballs, the lasagna, and that list goes on and on. They are known for their deep dish, but their thin crust, cauliflower crust, is just incredible. Check out the full menu and the great staff at CJ's Italian Restaurant, only at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. This is Anna Roy, Public and Media Relations Manager for Visit Mississippi Gulf Coast, and you're listening to Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Is Brad King, CEO of Stitch Golf. Good morning, Brad, and welcome back to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning there, Rich. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm awesome, man. Awesome. I've already made my bagel run this morning, so uh, walk the dog. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, let's talk about being ready to go. Uh, how cool was it to be involved uh, with the Roy Williams Golf Tournament at Eagle Point last week or this past week? You know, it was fantastic. It, uh, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a NC State Wolfpacker, so uh, obviously I uh, had a special dinner where um, uh, Coach Williams and his wife Wanda were there. Um, we had a bunch of the UNC supporters there. Coach uh, D. Batetta and uh, assistant coach Matt Clark were there with the players. And it was just, it was awesome. I, I will say this, I was probably the only red in a sea of blue, but um, <laughs> they're such good people. They put on an incredible tournament, and we were thrilled to be a part of it. Um, as they said, having, putting on a great golf tournament for collegiate uh, players and to attract the, the proper collegiate teams it's all about venue, and Eagle Point was a fantastic venue for that event. Yeah, it is, and it's uh, great teams that you had out there. I mean, you had Carolina, you had NC State, uh, UNC ended up winning it, but you really had some good quality college teams. We absolutely did. I mean, obviously the the Heels are an incredibly talented team this year. Of course, all the teams that were in the field are, are great teams, but Carolina is really, really, uh, they're loaded uh, with talent, and they're nice kids. In fact, the teams, uh, all the kids from the teams were incredibly thankful for our support of the event. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it, was, it was fun. We, we were able to, um, you know, uh, also provide a Corn Ferry exemption to the Rex Hospital Open um, to, uh, the, you know, the individual winner, and it was, uh, it was, just, it was just fantastic. Well, you guys are involved not only on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour and some others, but you do a lot with college, and I think that's great because not only from high school, but when they get into college, you do a lot with that kind of uh, section as far as uh, college golfers are concerned. You know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, look, we believe in amateur golf as much as we do professional golf, and obviously since I'm an amateur, you're an amateur, we know what that's like, but supporting the the college teams even if in some capacities it's not an official sponsor type relationship working through the school 
Um, we believe in college sports. Uh, we believe in college golf specifically as a golf company. And so, yes, we love being a part of anything that involves uh, collegiate players and, and, you know, spreading our stitch swag around uh, when we can. So we yeah. love doing that. Yeah, I, I know you do. When you were in your team, you have built an unbelievable um, golf brand. I mean, from a head cover company to a, a major golf brand. Uh, did you see that, Brad, when you first got involved with Stitch? You know, I would say this. With a name like Stitch, it's kind of a, a no-brainer. That's a really catchy name. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that was the first attraction. Um, but, you know, technically the company did start with head covers, high-quality leather head covers with a, a racing-inspired theme. Um, but, you know, to, to take it from what I would call uh, a sewing shop, an arts and crafts kind of company, and turn it into a golf brand, yes, that was part of the plan. But to sit back and look at it four and a half years later and look at what we've accomplished and say, is this what we expected, on some um, you know, some cases I would say yes. In other cases, I would say I'm I'm very surprised to build a brand as fast as we built it. Yeah, I would say is the one thing that sticks out to me as the most exciting. So, Brad, what's in the future? I mean, you've grown quite a bit over this time that you've been with them and uh, leading them on. What's in the future for Stitch Golf? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, steady, predictable stair step growth. Um, we have a really a, a three-channel strategy, um, green grass and, you know, servicing the country clubs, working our way from eastern part of the United States, our backyard here in North Carolina, and working west across the country is one part of our strategy. Our e-commerce direct-to-consumer is another part of our strategy. And honestly, we've had such demand from the corporate side to get into providing um, corporate employee gifting, corporate apparel for employees, as well as customer gifting. And so that segment is really, um, it, it, we've seen a surge in that. Uh, we're going to stick with those, uh, those channels for now. We may try some other channels, um, but I don't want to rush into those until we really get our foothold in the ones that we've got our focus on. But um, I would say, what do you expect from us? New innovative products a continuation of uh, really owning um, this explosive uh, presence that we have in the golf bag market um, and some surprise uh, items in the travel gear that have those, I call it the aesthetic aha. It's the familiar looking with an aesthetic aha. Look for us to introduce some new products coming up right after the new year that are just going to blow your mind. All right, give us the website so our listeners can go to it because it's, it's, you've just got some great stuff up there. Absolutely. And listen, it's shopping season, so I would say follow us on Instagram, Stitch Golf on Instagram, and www.stitchgolf.com. And if you're looking for some great things for uh, shopping for Christmas, I would tell you we just released our uh, limited uh, colorway in our Ultimate Garment Bag, the number one selling item we've, we've had in the last four and a half years, uh, our DOP kit. Uh, as well as our traveler backpack. So um, those are great gift items. And as always, our golf bags. And we have golf bags where, because of supply chain uh, challenges for other companies, we're one of the few companies in the golf industry right now that are actually properly inventoried with golf bags. And I will say this, a plug for the golf bag that I use, even though we've introduced our SL2, I use the SL1. I like it. It's the one we started out with. And if I'm not mistaken, between now and Christmas, you're going to see some great um, 
discounting on that bag uh, for the Christmas holiday. So surprise someone with an SL1 for Christmas. You bet. All right, I got to ask you this. What is your take on the upcoming PGA show uh, coming up in Orlando? Will Stitch go? We will not be there. Uh, we will have reps there with uh, rooms meeting with clients, but we will not have a show presence this year. Um, and to be very honest with you, we had to make that decision so early. Right. Um, I don't blame at all the people that put on the event for asking early, but not sure where we were going to be as a country with regard to the pandemic. Uh, we made a decision to skip again for 2022, but look to see us again there in 23. Um, from the standpoint of our our customers, our Greengrass customers, and any of our corporate customers that may show up for that show, uh, we will have reps there. We will have a presence there. It just will not be with a floor space booth like we've had in the past. And that's a pretty I big... I expect there will be other brands. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll expect, you know, there'll be other brands that do the same thing, but right. I think it... Hopefully things will come back with a big bang for 23. Well, we hope so, and I know continued success for you and your team. And, uh, Brad, thanks for being with us this morning. Well, Rich, thanks to you and the Back Nine Boys for supporting Stitch and for having us on this morning. Appreciate it. Brad King, CEO of Stitch Golf, continued success with him. But we also have some big news on the new tour that is coming out. And with that info is Jim Nugent, good friend of Global Golf Posts. Good morning, Jim. And what is hot right now? Good morning, Rich. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you. So what's there the... Was a little bit, there was a little bit of news in the professional game this week. Yeah, just a little bit. Tell us about it. Uh, after months and months and months of, of rumors, uh, finally, uh, Greg Norman emerged from the darkness. Mm. He is uh, uh, stepping aside from all of his businesses, 17, he claims. Uh, to become the commissioner of a, a new entity uh, called uh, LIV, Enter LIV Golf. Um, LIV means 24. Not sure what the significance of that is, but anyhow, right. the first step is to uh, invest uh, in a 10-year commitment to the Asian Tour, uh, $100 million dollars to resuscitate the Asian tour to create 10 very meaningful golf championships uh, in Asia over the next uh, decade. Uh, but that's just a prelude for what's to become. Uh, funding this is, is the Saudi Arabia uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund, and they have their eyes set on challenging the PGA Tour with a new uh, professional golf league uh, in the not-too-distant future. So obviously the Saudis have taken their gloves off. They're ready to jump into the ring, and their opponent is the PGA Tour. Um, last week, I know we talked a little bit about this, but we didn't know about Norman. What do you think his presence is going to mean? Does that give it more validity? Does that mean the PGA Tour needs to be more concerned than they were before? I don't think the tour is any more or less concerned because of Greg Norman's involvement, and I don't know that Greg's involvement gives the tour that much more validity. What it does give it, though, is star power and attention. Yeah. Um, he is Greg Norman, a Hall of Famer, one of the best players that ever played the game, lending his name to this effort. Uh, 
validity, I don't think so. Credibility, potentially. Yeah, and then that puts a little bit more uh, heightened uh, highlight yellow marker on his tournament coming up in December where you have a lot of the PGA guys going down there. I'm sure that will be something over a cup of coffee or a bottle of his wine that uh, may come up as a topic uh, while they're playing down in Naples. Well, it, it may be a topic that's discussed, but it'll be whispered because you won't hear a word of his involvement with this on television. That I can assure you. Yeah. Yeah, if it did, that would uh, put a different uh, look at it. Jim, thank you for the update. We appreciate you being with us, and we always like to have that breaking stuff that comes out on Global Golf Post. Thank you. The complete story can be found at globalgolfpost.com. I think your listeners will learn a lot from it. You got it, Jim. Thanks for being with us, and uh, uh, thanks for uh, wanting to be on with the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Rich, thanks for having me on. Cheers. Oh, and go dogs. You bet. Oh, yeah. The big game today, Jim Nugent, Global Golf Post, uh, just an interesting aspect with Greg Norman now being involved. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. We'll just have to keep up to date on what's going on. Keeping up to date also means updating your equipment. That means Mizuno Golf. They've always had the best irons in the game, and now they have the JPX 921 series, which offers feel and performance. The new STG220 driver also offers maximum adjustability now with the combination of three tracks and two movable weights. And then their brand new bag of T22 wedges. They're really great. Three finishes, four unique sole grinds to improve your short game. Check it all out. And all that's new with Mizuno at MizunoGolf.com. Nothing feels like Mizuno, so reach beyond. Hey guys, this is Chef Michael Park, personal chef of Dustin Johnson, Masters Champion, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We are so glad you're with us, and I am looking forward to this interview. Are you playing to your potential? How do you do that? Well, Dr. Brett McCabe has written a book, Break Free from Suckville, and that's only to help you and I and everybody out there. Good morning, Dr. Brett, and welcome back to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. I am uh, glad you're with us. I got to tell you, when I saw that you had written this book, uh, I fell in love with the title because I've been wanting to come up with a different name of when you get into that valley of you don't feel like you can ever get out of it. Suckville just sounds like a great name. Well, it came from, uh, you know, sitting there with my clients. And, and, you know, it's funny, pretty much everybody that comes to me is in that spot, right, where they just feel like they could be so much better than they are. And what happens when you're in that spot? You know, you forget that your reality is not bad at all. We have this amazing, unfortunate way of skewing our present because it's always falling short of what we think it should be or, you know, it doesn't match up to the amount of practice we put in or how good we've been on the range or on the putting green. And then we go out and play, right. and it just is not that same level. So a player... Now, I kind of brought this up one time, and one of my players looked at me and said, Doc, I'm the mayor of Suckville then, and that was it. <laughs> and that's kind of how it got started, and you know, I think it resonates with players because they feel like they suck when they're in that you know, mentality. But the truth of the point is that we're never going to reach our potential because we're just going to continue to move the line all the time. And, and that's a great point. I mean, how do you know when you've reached your potential? Because let's just say the game I played last week. I was playing great for 12 holes, and then I got in just what you described, that Suckville five holes that you end up going, what is wrong? I mean, the guy that played the front nine is not the same guy that's playing the back nine. 
Yeah, and, and what I try to tell my players to do is to look at golf not as a, a smooth ride, but more along the lines of a obstacle course. And, you know, you're getting ready to start an obstacle course when you tee off on the first hole, and you can't bring your range game to the golf course. You just can't. It, right. It's just two different environments. Right. Pressure's different. Stress is different. So you have to be prepared for when that, you know, trap door gets you like it happened to you after 12 holes. So instead of chasing, man, what happened? Why did I lose it? You have to know how to advance without being caught up in the past. You have to, you know, know how to play without trying to anchor into and, and you know, hook onto your superstar mentality. Instead, get the ball in the hole and realize it's not about application of your best. It's about application of what you have that day. Well, I know a lot of sports psychologists uh, talk about short memories, and uh, unfortunately, most amateurs don't have that. They, they sit back and say, my gosh, I, I, I mean, I was one over after 12. Now I'm four over after three. Uh, how do I get back? And how do you recommend for your golfers that you work with to get out of that Suckville mentality? Well, we, we all have memories, but the biggest problem of a memory, right, is our judgment of that memory and that judgment of where we are. And when we add judgment, usually what we're doing is we're saying that we're never going to live up to it because we never judge in the positive way. We always judge mm-hmm. in the negative way. So I actually flip the script a little bit and say, you know, use it as a challenge. What would other people do in this situation? How would they struggle? And can you beat them? Can you find what you have and get it done when most people would struggle here and see that as an advantage that you're picking up, you know, it, you know at least a, a half a step on the field? or half a step on your colleagues? Can you see that perspective? And use it as a challenge, because I don't want them to try to, you know, think, you know, think in a way that they can't, you know, reproduce their success or reproduce some level of something that's out of their control. I'd rather them see it as a challenge and grind, because golf is really about the grind. It's not about the, you know, the perfect moments. For some reason, for so long, we've romanticized the perfect moments in golf, but right. in reality... It's, uh, it's a very difficult game that is constantly changing with random you know, effects, and it just challenges every aspect of who we are physically and mentally. Yeah, and what I also liked about your book, you said that it, it's not about if, but when, when people find themselves in that Suckville arena. Yeah, you know, you are going to struggle, right? And, and so I, I recommend my players have what I call a first aid kit so that you write it down, you understand it, so that when it does happen, you're not sitting there shocked. You know, we, we often get caught up in the why is this happening in the middle of a round, just like you said, why did I lose my first 12 holes? I mean, it was perfect. What happened? Right. Versus, okay, it did happen. I'll evaluate that at a later time when I'm a little bit more rational. In the heat of the moment, I'm not rational. It's not the time to do an evaluation. It's the time to keep playing. And, and usually what happens if you kind of – go into a first aid kit, which would be something along the lines of, look, I'm going to take a couple deep breaths, I'm going to hit a fairway finder, I'm going to aim towards the centers of the greens. It's something that's specific to you. What happens is you move through the, the trouble, and lo and behold, you find yourself playing really good again because you weren't searching for it. Instead, you just kind of took it and you went with it. So when you're in that zone where you're you know, just not playing to the potential that you played for on the other five or six or 10, 12 holes, kind of slow it down a little bit, take some deep breaths, go back to the basics, and kind of start over. Yeah, you know, I, I, I always call it like when you have your C game, you got to have a C game play. And when I was pitching in college, that's what we would do. If you lost your release, relief point, you always had a pitch you went to. 
And that's what we need to do. It's not, it's not wrong to go to a fairway finder. It's not wrong to hit a shot that you know you can hit. You don't have to hit it both ways, particularly at, at our level. You know, hit the shot that you know. Hit the shot that gets you in play. It, I'll give you an example. For most people, when they're struggling with putting, they get caught up on line and speed. Just, just use one at that point. Usually speed. Just hit a good putt with speed. Right. In other words, don't feel like it's a negative to kind of downshift into that fairway finder or that C-game mentality. Just go ahead and accept it. Because ultimately, that's the sign of a great player is that you can do that and weather that storm. And here's the need. Why is it so easy during our round for us to get into that Suckville arena and so hard to get out of it? Well, it's, it's five and a half hours, and usually we're out there for six and a half hours. Most, <laughs> uh, gosh, uh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But five, six and a half hours from the time we warm up and right, right. all that. And, okay. and most of us don't eat, really. I mean, you know, <laughs> we know a lot of people will probably drink some fun drinks on a Saturday or Sunday or something like that. But yeah. You know, we don't we don't really um, you know fuel ourselves, but it is a long time, and it's impossible for the brain to stay that focused and locked in. And when you really think about it, it's a pretty miraculous feat for us from a um, you know, motor movement skill to swing a club and aim it at a target 250 yards away and get mad when it you know falls off 30 feet. Right. Like, it's it's pretty remarkable to think about something and how it works. And, and I think we need to sometimes look at the challenge of the game and not think it's supposed to be this easy thing. PGA Tour players only win 80%. They win 80% of their money in only five events a year on average. So they play 25 events a year. So they don't have it most of the time, but they're grinding and working through it. And the best players, the players that are in top ten in the world, it's not because they're winning six times a year. It's because they can take their suboptimal game and still find a way to top ten. That's what we need to, you know, to look at. We don't need to look at the perfect rounds. We need to look at the rounds that we, you know, did our grindings and, and we worked through it and got the ball in the hole in the most efficient manner. Well, and on the PGA Tour, these guys can make a great living even being in the top 50, more so top 40, top 30. Uh, I mean, Matt Kuchar made a living being in the top 15 to 10. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's how players get to the, you know, Number one in the world, my, my client, John Rahm, one of the things that he's brilliant about is he doesn't look at a victory on a, on a tournament always as a victory of hoisting the trophy. Sometimes the best he can do is a top ten because somebody else is playing great, but he sees that as a victory and a way to continue to chop away. And that's some stuff that we can do. We don't need to always anchor ourselves against our best round that we've ever had in anything right. less than that's a failure. Right. We don't know what the possibility of scoring is that day. We don't know. I mean, we pull a card, and we don't know. Yeah. You may get every club in between yards. You may have every club, you know, ball that you hit is, is going in a weird direction. Maximize what you have that day and get the most out of it. If you can flip that script mentally, you have a chance to accomplish more. But we get so caught up in our potential and what it should have been and how great it was and how magical it was when it was great <laughs> that we ignore the fact that we're doing amazing things by just maximizing what we have every day. Well, I've got to tell you, you mentioned John Rahm. I think over the past uh, year to two years, uh, he has just changed his mental approach to the game, uh, his enjoyment, his joy, the way that he's playing that game. Uh, it is very evident that he is in a different state mentally when he gets on the golf course, unlike when he was showing his anger and his frustration. Uh, but you've done wonderful things with him. 
Well, he's got an amazing team around him, and, and John is a, an amazing kid, and, and he's still a young man. Um, you know, it's, it's great to see his maturation. He's, he's kind of doing the Rory um, experience, who's growing up and getting very wise in the game. It, it's, you know, I've told John forever, he's going to be a villain in the United States every two years for a long time, and so he needs to be prepared to handle that. But people will respect him because of the way he treats it and the way he loves it in the Ryder Cup. But he's going to be a, a feat, you know. He's going to be a beast forever. But John loves the game, yeah. loves people, and he's he's still young. I mean, we forget that he's probably still. I think he's maybe twenty five, twenty six right now. Yeah. And he has done such an amazing job. I never had a problem with his emotion early on because I didn't want to thwart who he was. I just wanted to tone it down, maybe you know five percent, just not do anything that that came across wrong but he was so passionate about the game mm-hmm. he does it from the right perspective he loves the game and one thing about john john will stay afterwards and sign autographs for hours yeah and he doesn't put it on social media nobody talks about it he is totally committed to the game he's living his dream what an honor to work with a kid like that and and really a great ambassador for the game for the next 20 years yeah and i mean he's risen to number one he stayed there he's playing like it and i think i've when you talk about Who's going to be in a tournament? And if John's in it, you always think John's going to be a threat. Yeah. Yeah, he's also going to be one of those guys that, uh, you know, kind of like Rory, that, you know, the galleries need to follow because he's going to put on a show. He's going to talk. He's going to have a good time. He's going to, he's going to you know, he, he's going to celebrate other players' good play, too. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty cool thing to see. I mean, he's a, like I said, the problem is he plays for the other side every two years, but, uh, you know, he's going to be our biggest competitor, but, you know, he is somebody who loves the game, respects the game, values the game, and values his team, which is so cool, too. Yeah. Uh, one of the things to have that opportunity. Yeah. One of the things that I love about the game of golf is that, you know, for us amateurs, we celebrate, you know, getting a par when we should have maybe gotten a bogey. We, we occasionally have an opportunity to get birdies, but. Do you feel that the emotions of pro golfers and amateurs needs to be toned down a little bit? Because if you start really high emotionally in the beginning of your round, uh, what's going to happen for the rest of your round? You can't get that much higher as you go around. Well, actually, I think one of the, some of the worst advice we can, you know, coaches have perpetuated for years is that we need to be calm and think, you know, to have no thought on the golf course. Right. It's a competition. Right. Right. It's, it's an absolute competition. And, uh, you know, imagine me telling my Alabama football players, hey, no emotion today. <laughs> it could be like I was an idiot. Yeah. What you have to do is learn how you maintain that and what the mindset is that gets you in that frame of mind. And if you can understand how to do that in, in challenge by challenge, some players come out of the gate real strong, and once they realize what they have, they kind of let down, and that's a mistake. Right. We have to know our tendencies. And, you know, it's easy when you're playing in a major, easy when you're playing in a match where you're against somebody. That's why people tend to play much better in match play, because it's easy to identify who the opposition is. But, you know, I think that we just need to be who our personality is. And if our personality needs to, in our mind a little bit, think I'm going against, you know, competing against you every day, then I need to do that. I need to put that in my head. If it's to go out there and be the best, uh, you know, tactician I can possibly be, I need to go out there and be the best tactician I can be. Yeah. But we need to be who we are. Yeah. And I think golf is, for some reason, we've coached a lot of the personality out of the game. We've coached a lot of the, the flair out of the game. And I think we'll see it coming back. But hopefully I can lead that charge because I, I believe that just like baseball, basketball, football, you know, all those, we need to have emotion in the game. We need to respect the game. 
and we need to do it the right way, but we need to have emotion in the game. You know, Tiger was the greatest player to ever play, and he was full of emotion. So yeah. why is he any different than what we should be? Yeah, I agree. Well, hold on. we got to take a quick break. We'll be back with Dr. Brett McKay right after this on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Stay with us. Hello, this is Chris Sack, the men's golf coach at the University of Georgia, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles on the phone with Dr. Brett McCabe. And uh, Dr. Brett, I, how many golfers do you think, and I'm talking pros, more importantly amateurs, do not reach their full potential because they quit thinking about it. Mentally they think, I just can't do it. Well, I, I think 100% of people never reach their potential. And okay. the reason for that is that we constantly move what our potential is. You, know, you have a good day, and all of a sudden now it's got to be two shots better than that. It's, uh, but I think when people stop looking at their potential to have success, and then what happens is they can continue to redefine their upper level of performance, and that's kind of the way I look at it. Is, okay. you know, all of our performance essentially follows a curve. Now, unfortunately, in the game of golf, the negative side of the curve tends to have more scores in it than the really positive. Right. My whole goal is to always improve players' average. I want their B game to be more successful than anything else. Not, we don't always play best when we have our A game. We tend to lose our patience. We tend to lose our discipline. We tend to you know, get a little bit more strategically aggressive. Um, and, and when we have our B game, there's, a, there's almost a sense of, of cautious optimism. And I, I, I think back to when I was pitching, you know, a pitcher loves to not feel great. Um, if, when you feel way too strong, you tend to lose your in your, your control, and then you, you know, raise your expectations and you get in trouble. But right. when you've got a little bit of soreness, a little bit of tightness, you tend to stick it out and, and pitch. Well, I want people to play golf. I want people to be strategic. I want people to play to their strengths. And I want people to play in a way that allows them to be successful without having to anchor against some mythical level of performance. Let's just see what we can create versus you know limiting what we think we can do because it's not living up to our expectations. So would you say that most golfers have um, worse or, or not as much expectations or too much expectations when they go to the golf course? They think way too, too much, yeah. way too many expectations. Yeah. If you sit in the 19th hole of any golf course today or tomorrow and you listen to players who come off the golf course, 90% of them are going to be frustrated with how they played. Yep. Maybe 85%. Well, it could have been this, it could have been that. And I've had a good experience a couple times of you know sitting at the scoring tent of the junior tournament, and it's the same question every time. What did you shoot? Well, you know, it could have been this. No, no, I mean, what did you shoot? And that's kind of how we live, right? I right. mean, we, we live to never be content with what we have. Right. It's a, a sport where we have to be content. You know, if we're a fighter or we're a, a baseball player or anything like that, you get done at the end of the game and you realize that it was hard. You knew it was going to be challenging. You knew you were going to take some shots. You knew that it was not going to go well, but you adjusted. Golfers don't, for some reason, don't adjust. They think it needs to live up to that level, and anything short of that is just a trouble, and, that, and that's a problem. Do you think that we look more to what we shot score-wise than we should rather than I hit the ball pretty good, had a couple of bad breaks, but I know what I need to work on? Well, a little bit, but isn't it funny if you ask players, would you would – you, would you prefer to shoot a low score and hit the ball terrible or hit the ball well and shoot an okay score? Most people say, oh, I, love, I would love to hit it great. Because hmm. that's kind of a thought about, like, yeah. in the future, I can't, rec- I can't recreate that unless I'm hitting it great. Yeah. You actually don't need to hit it great to, to score. You just need to hit it good enough. Um, 
And you know, we all know that feeling of how good it feels when you hit it well, and that feeling of control and that feeling of, of confidence when you stand over the ball. Yep. The reality is there's a lot of times we hit thin shots or we hit a putt off the toe, and it seems to go in. And what we have to do is look at that as not as a negative, but just a good execution. I mean, it's, it's, we don't need to look at those as bad. Let's look at those as they were good enough to perform, and, and it doesn't mean that problems are coming in the future. And I think that's half the reason why we get so caught up in our future, All right, our we've, potential. Yeah, we've got about 20 seconds. Do you think that we're too hard on ourselves when we play golf? 100%. Yep, gotcha. Dr. Brett, thank you for being with us. Love the book, Break Free from Suckville. You can get it online, and uh, I can't wait to take a look and get into it. And thank you for taking time to be with us. Thank you very much. All right, Dr. Brett McCabe, unbelievable. Break free from Suckville. We all want to do that. So listen to the Back Nine Boys. We'll try and help you get back to that from putting to everything else that's out there. We're here every Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 9 on ESPN Coastal and ESPNCoastal.com. Check out wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to us and watch us on YouTube. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thanks to my producer, PJ Zuko, and my co-producer, Gabriel Brackett. What a guy. All right, we're here. Take care.